Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to Who Knows, a podcast where I read things that you uh, otherwise would never read or listen to somebody read. So, yeah, we get to learn some new stuff together. So, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, we're into March now, 2021. Woo, we made it, guys. We made it. We made it to this day. To this month again so i'm um, gonna break up the monotony of the two books that we're reading just uh for a little bit and i'm gonna bust out some parts of this uh this story that we've been reading the one an old guy hired me to manage his life-size dollhouse and so far it's pretty pretty interesting i don't know if you remember what happened before but if you have if you don't go back and listen um we're getting into part three and part three is out of darkness light here we go enjoy my life was not the same after leaving vanderley i'd wake up go to classes forget to eat most meals and then stuff myself with crap in the middle of the night. I had nightmares, fever dreams of poorly lit concrete hallways about Miss Claymore's flaming eyes. The skin on my palm and ankle wouldn't stop itching. It felt fine at first, but after a couple days, it was like my body started rejecting a foreign object. I picked at the patches of silicone so much that even my roommate asked if I needed to borrow her eczema cream. I desperately wanted to do something, to learn more about Vanderlei to research the girls, to do anything productive, but I just felt so drained. I've never taken drugs, so the best I can do is compare the sensation to coming off a sugar rush. In the parlor room, surrounded by all those beautiful dolls, I was so charged up and strong, I felt like I could do anything with that energy. Back in my dorm, I grew weak and frustrated. I found it hard to focus on my schoolwork, to answer even the simplest questions on my assignments. I was snappy and cranky with everyone, and worst of all, I had cravings. Literal, physical urges to get back to that house to feel strong, powerful, unfucking touchable again. Ronnie came by a lot during those days. He wasn't allowed inside campus housing, so we met at a nearby cafe. We mostly just sat around in silence, having meals together. It wasn't unusual for us, neither one being all into that, all that into small talk but the frequency of these meetings more than doubled from our usual pace. He brought up the touchy subject of Vanderlei during our most recent lunch. Look, he hesitated, wiping his mouth with a napkin, although it was already clean. I think we should talk about it. He looked so large sitting atop a trendy stool at the high counter. I could tell he wasn't exactly comfortable with the setting, meaning he only put up with it because I didn't have the spirits to drive to a cozy burger spot further away. We should. I agreed, moving pasta loops around my plate as my meal grew cold and even less appetizing. I knew the expression I would see if I looked up. Ronnie's kind, hazel eyes riddled with concern, his thick brown eyebrows furrowing like caterpillars sliding from leaf to leaf. I blame myself, he breathed out a long sigh. I knew the doll shit didn't sound right when you called me, but I didn't want to try to control your life, you know? I'm not your guy or your dad or anything. I looked up at him and smiled. We always made a weird duo, ever since the sand pit days. 
Ronnie was four years older and statistically taller and larger than most kids his age, while I was always getting extra CPS checkups because I was so small and skinny. Ronnie never had a lot of muscle, but his size made it look like he did, whereas I always attracted elderly ladies with food to offer. We probably looked a little like a bear and pixie sitting together at a table. Ronnie, you're my guy, I laughed. Not in that way, but in every other sense of the word. So tell me, he said, softening a little bit, but not exactly reciprocating my smile. I will when I'm ready, I promised. I should have gone back to my room after lunch. Instead, I walked the other way, in the direction of the parking lot. I had classes that afternoon, and I didn't even care. I got behind the wheel, of, I got behind the wheel half dazed and entered the dreaded address into my map app. I would just do a drive-by, I assured myself. It was foolish to think I had even the slightest chance against the many unknown dangers at Vanderley, so I promised myself I wouldn't go inside. I thought the words over and over, reciting them like last-minute notes before an exam. It was a typical spring afternoon, a little sunny but cool. My breath slowed as I made the final turn, parking in the most distant spot that still held the house in view. My hands trembled at the wheel as I took in the familiar facade. The patches of doll skin on my hand and ankle started pulsating, reminding me of the dangers ahead. I ignored them. Now that I had the house in my sights, I felt an enormous pull to it. I wanted, needed, to go inside. What is going on? I moaned to my dashboard, slamming my hands on the wheel in frustration. This wasn't me. This wasn't normal. Why was I back here? So much for packing the bag. How about packing at least an inkling of common sense? Was the house drawing me back in somehow, dragging me back to finish the job? I started the car back up, resolving to get the hell out of there, maybe leave town altogether if I could keep me safe. I started easing out of my parking spot when an unmarked black sedan pulled up in front of the Vanderlei lawn. The windows were tinted black, so I couldn't see inside the car. I waited, debating whether to switch my engine back off or to keep it on in case I needed a quick getaway. A couple of minutes passed before the front door of the house opened and a man walked out. He wasn't ex exceptionally tall, but appeared athletic and wore a well-tailored dark suit. From afar, he almost looked young. If I squinted, though, I could see flakes of gray in his hair and trim beard. Was this the husband, then? It was hard to believe he was in his fifties, but then again, money goes a long way in preserving youth. The man walked down the path in a brisk, poised manner, like he really had somewhere to be. His posture and confidence reminded me of Miss Claymore, a small co coincidence, but something that supported my suspicions of them being husband and wife. It was a thing I had noticed about a lot of couples in long-term relationships. After years together, they started picking up on each other's mannerisms, hand gestures, and expressions. I sunk down in my seat as he approached the sedan. There were a lot of other cars parked in front of me, but I still felt slightly exposed and reasonably terrified at being in such close proximity to someone who would finance the construction and maintenance of Vanderly House. The man didn't even look my way. He got in the back seat, and a few seconds later, the car drove off. The rest happened on autopilot. My hands turned off the engine and opened the car door. My lower body turned and jumped onto the road. My legs moved me forward with the speed of an addict running to buy their next hit with the stolen trinket. It was stupid, dangerous, and all kinds of fucked up. But before I knew it, I was face to face with the bronze bull man knocker once more. I hesitated, staring at the creature in dismay. I turned back to look at the world I was leaving behind. Clean-cut lawns, garden gnomes, and koi ponds teased the eye with promises of white picket fairy tale endings. Sprinklers formed tiny rainbows on the grass. 
and I wondered again how such a beautiful place could conceal so many nightmares. As always, the door was open when I tried the handle. The entrance hall looked much the same, precisely serene, chillingly staged. I mulled over which way to go this time, trying to remember my walk through with Miss Claymore. She had shown me a lot of exquisitely furnished rooms, so many that they all blended together after a while. I remembered the hidden door in the parlor room that was probably the first place I needed to look, so I darted across the hall and up the staircase. It was quite different from how I left it. The dolls were gone, as was the dead body. Every armchair, rug corner, and knocked over knick-knack had been restored to its rightful place. I walked over to the bookshelf and started pulling novels one by one until I finally got the book that slid open the concealed door. Wanting to memorize it for future use, I took it from the shelf and studied the cover. It was an aged copy of some foreign book with, with thin, yellowed pages containing pictures of demonic shit. There was a sticker on the inside of the cover that read the Codex Giges, a copy in English. I replaced the book on the shelf, turning my attention to the concealed walk space when a familiar voice interrupted my train of thought. Where do you think you're going, Lou? I turned to see Mrs. Claymore standing there, standing mere feet away, appearing suddenly as was her custom. She wore a long knitted dress and vibrant bottle green hues with, white, with a white lace trim. Her long hair was loose this time, spilling over her front and shoulders in thick locks of dark gray. She looked younger somehow and quite beautiful. I need to know what's happening to me, I said, my emotions stirring at the sight of her. I needed to see you, to learn the truth. Is that what you tell yourself, she asked, running her eyes over me. Her gaze was passive, disinterested. She walked over and sat down on one of the armchairs by the window, the same one Cynthia had occupied the last time I was here. I walked over and joined her in the nearest armchair. What do you mean? I asked. You tell yourself you're here because you want to learn the truth or save the girls, but is that really true, Lou? Think about it. I considered before replying. I feel something when I'm here. I feel a certain way. She didn't say anything, only watched me work through my thoughts in silence. What are we? I finally asked. Human folklore has called us a number of things, she paused, running her eyes over the room as she spoke. We are witches, demons, succubi, take your pick. We are born from, born from suffering and it follows us wherever we go. We start as victims but rise above. We thrive on the fringes of society where humans give in to their carnal instincts. We feed on the crushing and splitting of innocence, virtue. Her words hit me like a barrel to the gut. I didn't want to think of myself as a product of evil, but I couldn't deny her claims entirely. On the bad nights, when the house was abuzz with chaos, cousins fighting each other, uncles and aunts, negligent and uncaring, thinking only of their next hit, those were the nights I wrote my best essays for school, found it easiest to study, had true peace of mind in my solitude and disregard for it all. Had I really ceased being the victim? Had I somehow become the cause? We come from darkness and we feed on darkness, she continued. Think of your life. I do not know you personally, but I venture to guess you didn't have parents or grown-ups to care for you. You've witnessed and possibly experienced abuse firsthand, a lot of it. Let there be no mistake that this is the source of your power, your strength. No, I shook my head, gripping the armrests. What about all that light out of darkness shit you said when I was about to die at the hands of your hired help? Denial dripped off my voice, panicked and volatile. She was saying all the wrong things. I didn't want to hear this. 
It's true, Mrs. Claymore nodded, observing my emotional display with apparent distaste. A lot of us go searching for light, but darkness follows wherever we go. At some point, we all come to a crossroads and choose one or the other. One promises power, longevity, and the other brings nothing but weakness and sacrifice. I made my choice years ago when I married a man who could build me this house. I chose power. Power? I spat back. You think torturing young women and turning them into playthings makes you powerful? It makes you a sick fuck. That's what it makes you. Men like my husband have been around as long as time itself. His hobbies fuel my power, and yours too, Lou. She said this with a smile, so it could be so it so cold it made me flinch. That is why you sought us out in the first place. It's why you came back again. You really shouldn't have done that. My husband and his colleagues have every intention to kill you after the stunt you pulled with one of our most valued employees. I was about to say something else to argue, I think, when a soft but firm voice interrupted us. Lou, Ronnie appeared in the doorway, fist clenched at his side. We need to get out of here. I was, so, I was so shocked to see him that I just stared, trying to process the implications of my cousin not only following me to the house, but also hearing the conversation that had just taken place. His face was stone-cold severe. I could tell he was angry, but there was more to it. There was a hint of fear in his eyes as he looked about the room, at Miss Claymore, the window, anywhere but me. That's a good idea, young man, Miss Claymore replied, rising from her seat and walking over to the window to look through a sight parting in the drapes. Though I'm afraid you'll have to use the back exit, she added, gesturing to the hidden walk space in, my, in the wall. My, my husband has just come home. Somewhere outside, a car door slammed shut. Ronnie looked over his shoulder. A gesture I took to mean he was considering facing the man that was responsible for setting our little world off so off balance. Ronnie, I choked out. Let's go this way. We don't want to run into that guy. He looked at me then, his gaze accusatory, like that of a parent dealing with an unruly child. My skin crawled at the idea of being caught by the owner of Vanderlei. I had only seen him from a distance, but it was enough to know he was part of something bigger than the two of us could handle alone. Please, Ronnie, come with me. I ran over and grabbed his hand, pulling him along. Though silent, he relented, following me to the hidden space behind the wall. Inside was a bare, dusty corridor that ran both ways along the walls of the room. There was a lever to the right of the entrance point, and I pulled it, sliding the door open, door closed behind us. A weak light bulb on the wall illuminated two ways we could go. We could head right toward the heart of the house, or we could go left and follow a pitch-black staircase going down. Ronnie turned to the stairs without so much as a moment's thought, and I followed. The light from the bulb grew weaker as we started making our way down the steps until eventually we left it entirely behind us. A dreadful, heavy blackness enveloped us, threatening to choke out what little hope we had of escaping unscathed. I fumbled my way through it, running my hands down the filthy coarse walls in search of a switch or another lever. With every minute, we descended further into the suffocating darkness, desperately seeking but a hint of the promised light. And that was part three. It's the end of part three. Oh man, it's getting pretty good, guys. I don't know about you. It's already good. But um, all right. Stay tuned for part four and five and six. And thanks for coming by. All right. Have a good night. <laughs>